and Brit. Brad and Brit, the perfect combination of brawn and wit. Politics, sports, and trending shit. Let's tune in to Brad and Brit. It is the Brad and Brit cast. We're glad you're with us. It's a very special edition of the program. That means somebody's either getting married, right? Hmm. Or there's a new character being introduced or something happens. Or we have a special guest and it's Park Pewterbaugh, who we have not had on since late last year. Park is a great guy. He's an author. He's a teacher. He's a rock and roll empresario on the writing side of things. Park, I I swear to God, I, I Googled your name just for fun a few minutes ago. And the oh. third reference, third reference is about an article you wrote in, 19, in 1986 on the 20th anniversary of the monkeys uh, uh, hitting big. <laughs> and I, it, you know, I, the, the uh, article wouldn't, wouldn't open, but uh, that brings me to the most important question for us to start. Should the monkeys be in the rock and roll hall of fame? Oh, yes, absolutely. Wow. Make your case. Okay. Well, it was uh, the four of them had a great deal of individual talent, especially Michael Nesmith, great guitar player. Uh, Mickey Dolan's a great singer, decent drummer. You know, Peter Tork was actually a fairly accomplished musician. Um, They had what a setup they had. They had the wrecking crew, the best musicians in California. Um, They had the best songwriters at the Brill Building, everybody from Neil Diamond to uh, Carol King and Jerry Goffin writing songs for them. And at one point, after their first two albums, they seized the reins of control themselves. They wanted to write their own songs, play on their own records, and, you know, they basically beat down and beat up Don Kirshner to do that. Yeah. Um, and they left a long track record of, I mean, Rhino Records, the greatest reissue label in the history of reissue labels. Correct. Bought outright their cat, their catalog for a long, for a big sum. And those guys, you know, no good music. And that was some of the best pop music made in the sixties. That would be I, my guess. I think you, I think as a vehicle for some of those great songwriters you talk about, and I include, include Boyce and Hart in that, um, Yes. Uh, yeah. The one album that you're talking about where they actually got to write and perform their own songs, I think was called Headquarters. Headquarters, and correct. I believe that was maybe the first album to top the Billboard album chart without issuing a single, I think, maybe. Uh, hmm. And it's very good. If you ever have a chance to listen to it, it's it's very, very interesting. I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we debate nonsensically the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame all the time, and we go back oh. and forth with, with John the Catholic. Um, and the one that we came up with that's really on the line – that's tough to kind of make a case for is the band Boston. Oh man. Um, you know, I wrote for about 1986 to 2000, however long that is 2000 and no, actually 2013 or 14. I wrote all of the bios of everybody being inducted for the website. I did their, so I had to make a case for everybody that was getting in, whether I agreed or not. And um, as I would do that, I'd often convince myself, well, hell yeah, they do belong here. After all, um, at Boston, uh, you know, maybe the first album is still the greatest selling debut album in okay. the history of music. Um, 
I would say as a piece of production work, it's kind of defines the classic rock sound. Uh, Tom Schultz was a mad. Okay. And uh, a, a great guitar player, no question. And he actually had a pat, you know, he worked for Polaroid. He, right. he had patents on, uh, on stuff that he invented. I used to have a, a little box he invented for the guitar that had effects in it. So I could see that. I could see that. You know, there are people I would like to see get in before Boston, but I wouldn't have a, a very difficult time yeah. uh, making the case for them. Uh, after the first 15, 20 years, mm. after they'd put in, uh, to make the analogy, the Babe Ruths and the Joe DiMaggio's and, and, and all, and, you know, it started to spread out. And I just read a piece sure. with uh, John, John Sykes, who is, uh, sounds like he's got a lot of pull. He founded VH1. Uh, he's, a, he's a heavy hitter. And he explains, his take is, look, what I've done, and you can tell from the kind of people that get in now is uh, that I go back to the roots of rock and roll. And mm -hmm. there are so many different influences from, from uh, every sphere that we can include basically anybody we damn well please. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it feels that way more and more. And of course, the older we get, the more bitter we get uh, oh, yeah. about this. And uh, so we all have our little lists. I'll give you mine. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's all going to keep it to four. And by the way, I just saw uh, a clip uh, Letterman just put up in a few days ago. How pissed, of course, he is that Warren Zevon, oh. his good oh, friend, my God. yeah, right. Warren's not didn't make it. Uh, but I'll, I'll put him on my list, and I'll put him up there with uh, Peter Frampton. Guess who? And now hadn't thought of it that much, but Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. yeah. How do you mm -hmm. how do you say no to him? I don't know. No, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he's probably sold more records than Joni Mitchell and Neil Young put together. And yeah. uh, you know, he's he's kind of the reigning folky uh, out of Canada. Actually, it was the first concert I ever saw was Gordon Lightfoot at ACOC Auditorium. Wow. And I was like in the ninth grade or something. On nineteen 69 or something crazy like that how many people uh, were there like a couple thousand or something uh he he'd had enough albums out that he had a following but but acock's ACOC, not a huge it's a it's, no, a, it's a small no. venue but sure sure but i mean miles davis played there in the 70s and nice uh, yeah i mean you know they devo played there See? Um, this is the this is the shit that I get into. By the time I got to UNCG, they was, oh, you should have been here five years ago. You, <laughs> you could have seen REM for a dime down here, but then when they yeah, changed the eighteen, the, yeah. the eighteen year old the drinking age came in and it just effed everything up, up and down Tenth yeah. Street. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they say. The I, I'll go back to the Boston argument for a moment because we're looking basically at three, really two albums for Boston, and it was a band that I think don't think Tom Scholz was a guy who enjoyed playing live. They didn't really play live a whole lot or tour that yeah. often. If you're thinking about the amount of material that was put out, it's almost it's very similar to the amount of material that we look at for a band called Nirvana. You know, it's only this many this much material that was actually recorded, but I don't think you can make a comparison in terms of influence for those two bands. No, I would agree. 
I think, because <laughs> they still sold like what twenty million copies of their debut album. That was something you couldn't escape. And it really, as I say, it in the middle of the decade, I think it came out in 76, 75, yeah. 76. Uh it really did define the sound, the production values of classic rock. And uh, you know, that was that album was so pristine, so massaged mm -hmm. to a fault almost. I mean, spontaneity wasn't Boston's long suit, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was something fascinating about Tom Schultz. I give him some credit. First two albums, after that, you know, it's just... But mm -hmm. those first two albums, and, you know, it, can, it could be one song that gets somebody in the Hall of Fame, if that song is important enough. Uh, Percy Sledge. Yeah. When a man loves a woman. Yeah. In argue, you know, arguably one of the greatest soul songs ever recorded is right up there with respect and Dock of the Bay and and you know the Motown stuff. Um so how does that how does that explain wait a minute, where's Norman Greenbaum? His spirit <laughs> in the sky, one great song. Why isn't well, he in there? Now you're talking I had my if if it had been my hall of fame. Uh -huh. yeah. There would have been levels. There would have been strata. There would have been, you know, silver for the one-hit wonders and Fantastic. gold for the uh, fever. Yeah. yeah, gold for the deserving artists. Platinum for the Beatles and you know the ones that are just in Beatles stones. Who, the Grateful Dead, you know that kind of strata. So, uh, so that there is some separation between them because del shannon is in the rock and roll hall of fame and i wouldn't put him on the same plane as the beatles for mm -hmm. instance of course not yeah and i think there's some deserving one-hit wonders i put the kingsman in for louis louis that's yeah it's like my favorite song ever well maybe they just, maybe it should be a place that just put songs in there not, yeah, that would be interesting. The, not the they group. started wow. doing that. I don't know if you've seen, wow. but they've been putting singles in for like the last three, four years. Uh, <laughs> I actually I keep, wrote about a bunch of them. Uh, I keep telling uh, Brad and our friend John the Catholic, who's actually uh, watching right now, they're going to lose their minds in a couple of years because then uh, the Strokes are going to be eligible, oh. and then all of the emo bands are going to be eligible. And when they see My Chemical Romance go into the Rock and Roll Hall of oh. Fame, they're going to be just wonder what happened to the earth. I was. I've always said that the day that you um, see the members, the surviving members of the 1910 Fruit Gum Company, walking <laughs> on stage in tuxedos to get their statuette, it's it's over. Yeah, yeah. Danny Bonaducci is accepting for the rest of the Partridge family. <laughs> Shirley Jones is a bit, a bit alien. This, Under the this weather. year's this year's group. Here we go. Willie Nelson, mm -hmm. the Spinners. Mm -hmm. Kate Bush, Rage Against the Machine, Missy Elliott, George Michael, Sheryl Crow. Mm. I think it's a good group. I mean, I, I still stick up for it. When you look at the variety, obviously, there's no there's no Stones, there's no Beatles, there's no Led well, Zeppelin well, well, in there. That. It, it's it's it's. I still think that's a pretty good with a a pretty good crew with some pretty good variety in there. It would have been stronger with Warren Zevon replacing either George Michael or Cheryl Crow. So explain to us, Park, why does Jan Winter hate Warren Zevon? Just go ahead, just uh, tell us what that's all about. I don't know. Does he hate him? Is there that? Yeah, I, I mean, 
<laughs> I, just I, know said, I know he said the monkeys will get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame over his dead body. Wasn't he anti-Kiss for the longest time, too? Wasn't he like, uh, F those yeah. guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they dissed Rolling. I mean, there's there's feuds, you know, and stuff. But uh, uh, I don't understand the aversion to the monkeys, to be honest. And Jan's really kind of out of the picture at this point. He stepped oh. down as uh, the president, CEO, whatever. I always um, the narrative I like to put forth is because somebody's not in and, and they're on the ballot for a number of years and they're eligible is because he just hates them or he they stepped well, on his foot in traffic or something one time. You, or something. you remember what the nickname for the monkeys was the prefab four prefab four yeah. and be, yeah. because they were assembled the way you would go to a toy store and buy different Lego sets and put them together into one. That's not fair. They're not organic enough. So let's punish them forever. Uh, it seems simplistic, but it might be possible that that's true. Uh, you know, it's Los Angeles. Uh, they were assembled for an audition for a, a TV sitcom that was patterned after Hard Day's Night. Um, they had 437 respondents. One of them was Stephen Stills. Um, but... Oddly enough, for whatever reason, there was chemistry between those four guys. They've stayed very loyal to each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the albums cohere, the production. I mean, this is L.A., the center of the musical universe, which it had become by that point in the 60s. Uh, those are some fun records. I think they really still hold up as great examples of 60s pop craft. You mm-hmm. you brought up something I thought was really interesting because you talk about that wrecking crew in Los Angeles, and there were a couple different examples of that in other parts of the country. Uh, the Funk Brothers, who did uh, most of the Motown records, in addition to a lot of other huge. If you if you look at the records, I think that the Funk Brothers played on. They played on more number ones than Elvis and the Beatles combined. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. In, in Nashville, yeah. there was a country version of that called the A Team. It'd be interesting to see. Uh, those kind of crews that are not well-known uh, considered for induction. Absolutely. What was the name of the group at American Recording Studios in, in Memphis? Oh, um, uh, were they the, the Swampers or uh, the, that was That was actually Muscle Shoals, right? Muscle Shoals. And I don't know if the American guys had a name, but they were very strong too. And they played on tons, you know, soul stuff and yeah. rock stuff that came out of Memphis anonymously. They played as these guys usually do. There have been bits and pieces of recognition for some of those guys as sidemen, you know, right. um, uh, the example, best example would be James Jamerson, the bass player, Oh yeah, the Funk Brothers. Yeah, and Benny Benjamin, the drummer for the Funk Brothers. Both tremendous. Uh, yeah, and James Burton, who's an incredible guitar player. He played uh, with Ricky Nelson, Elvis Presley, Emmy Lou Harris, and a million different uh, records that came out of the L.A. I know one offshoot of those guys in Memphis was called the Dixie Flyers. They called they they did yes. a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yes, Jim Dickinson was one of them. Jim Dickinson, yeah. whose sons are now in the North Mississippi All Stars, if you ever right. had a chance to see them, and those guys are Jim. Uh, Jim, there, there's a guy with a freaking musical history. Oh man, stretched yeah. from here to the road. I mean, exactly. that guy. I, I don't think has there ever been a biography written of that guy because it's just insane. 
I don't think so, but you know, he played on Wild Horses by the Rolling Stones, and he did and, stuff with Dylan. I mean, he was he was unbelievable. Yeah, and he produced uh, big stars, a couple of big stars. Uh, the the big third star, album, right? especially, he was huge Alex on the, big, the third one. And yeah. the replacements made their best album yeah. with him uh, in Memphis. All right, let's get uh, John the Catholic's question here. Park, have you heard that Steve Van Zant pushed hard for the small faces because he thought that was the only way they could get Steve Marriott in? Hmm. I haven't heard that. I'm not privy to the conversations. I'm not on the nominating committee, right. and I don't. Talk, I don't even really talk to people that work there. Really, the only thing I do anymore is when the induction time rolls around and I'll write a, uh, essay for the program. Um, you know, uh, r regimes have come through, you know, there's different regimes and when that happens, a new broom sweeps clean and all that stuff. Uh -huh. So it's been, it's been about six, seven years since I was integrally involved in, uh, as, as deeply as I was for uh -huh. 30 years. All right. Speaking of regimes, let let's move on to yes. the disaster in New Hampshire last night. <laughs> um, and there's a hundred ways to approach this, starting with uh, who did this help the most? Blow. You know, I just <laughs> want to blow my own head off thinking about that. Um, but if people actually were to ever look at a transcript of what Trump says. And it's of course, incoherent. It's, it's, it's incoherent. It's, it's beyond belief. The guy, what's his name on Saturday night live? Who does him? Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. James Austin Johnson. He, he's so ridiculously brilliant because yeah. he has those stop and start stutters into nothingness over, which is what Trump does. He doesn't complete a sentence. He doesn't complete a thought because he doesn't have one. He's not going anywhere. So he just steamrolls a tsunami of bullshit. And uh, it was on full display in, in New Hampshire. And even if you cut through that, I want to play one, one clip here. And this could be, I hope, it isn't any kind of a spur for the Republican Party to uh, do what he's talking about. But this has to do with defaulting on the national debt. And I know America doesn't care about that. It's too boring. I don't give a what about the people on the border? That's all I care about. Fox News shows the video over. That's what I'm worried about. It. I live in fucking Ohio. They're not coming over your border. But this was a, this was a question that, that uh, somebody in the audience and by the way there should be no audiences for these kind of events okay it's there that was a rally last night we know that yeah. right that was just yeah. a fucking rally yeah. all right so so here's the uh here it is laid out by caitlin collins and and listen to what trump says it's beyond belief because we're spending money like drunken sailors so you know just to be clear mr president you think the u.s should default if the White House does not agree to the spending cuts, Republicans well, are demanding. You might as well do it now because you'll do it later. Because we have to save this country. Our country is dying. Our country is being destroyed by stupid people, by very stupid people. You once said that using the that using the debt ceiling as a negotiating wedge uh, just could not happen. You you said that when you were in the That's Oval Office. To, so why is it different now that you're out of office? Because now I'm not president. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. 
this is not this is not a, a stand-up routine in Vegas. Mm-hmm. It's not funny. No, it's, it's not, not funny not. that you're such a hypocrite that you know you can say things throwing tomatoes from the outside in that are completely wrong and completely bad for the country and the world. That's because you're not president anymore. But when you're president, you have to be even slightly responsible, even if your name is Donald Trump. This is not funny stuff. It's not. But the audience thought that he had uh, hit a zinger. They they thought Rodney Dangerfield was up there just uh, ripping them off one after another. Yeah, replace James Carden with Donald Trump, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 truly sick, but I have to give him that. I'm going to throw this out here. I'm going to pay Donald Trump a compliment. He steamrolled CNN completely, and he is not he is capable of telling lies with a straight face to the day he dies. He can tell a lie more effectively and consistently consistency in in falsehoods uh are, are something that it's remarkable he wouldn't even give up um uh a single point you know it was it was it was the the insurrection was a beautiful day and uh, he never met e Jean carroll and you know one thing after another like that the election was stolen he stuck to his guns, and Caitlin Collins wasn't able to unglue him, and that should never have happened. The whole evening should never have taken place. I think it's one of the biggest travesties in this travesties in the history of journalism, and I think CNN will pay a big price for it. And somehow they got owned by Donald Trump. Knowing what they know about Donald Trump, they got owned by him. I would uh, I co-sign what you said. I mean, this is what happened is not Donald Trump's fault. If you have a small child in your house and you leave a loaded gun on the table and then the kid grabs the gun, this is all about CNN. I know it's confirmation bias because I bitched about this leading up to it. But no one can make a convincing argument to me that this was really helpful for the American people. You know, there were some people last night that saw for the first time how crazy that guy is, and they're not going to vote for him now. You you can't make that argument. And CNN can't make the argument, God, we got all these new viewers, and look at all the eczema medications that are going to come to us for big ad buys this quarter. You can't can't do that. Chris Lick should absolutely 100% be fired. Uh, as head of CNN, I was giving this guy all the rope he could get because he had a, 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 he had a he had a bad bag that was handed to him. He really did. But right now, he's making Jeff Zucker look like Grant Tinker and Brandon mm-hmm. Tartikoff. He's making him look mm-hmm. like he, he's. There's no way that Chris Lick should be able to continue on. And you're seeing now all these stories about the internal strife at the network. How would make a bad situation even worse? Somehow, Chris Lick was able to do that. Oh yeah, and this is a guy who was the showrunner for Colbert, Right, correct? How did how in the world did he go from that to this? Well, he, he before that, he he put together the Morning Joe show. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that, so he, he does have some experience in news, but I would submit that he is the new Roger Ailes. This mm-hmm. is what they're trying mm-hmm. to recreate in their own way. And uh, you can loathe Ailes all you want, and I do. In fact, Ailes is the guy that came up with the town hall meeting shtick originally for Dick Nixon in 1968. Mm-hmm. He came up with, with, with a stacked audience 
asking phony questions to Nixon to try to humanize him. But at least he was a political operative then doing that. He didn't run a network. He got that chance later on, right, with Rupert Murdoch. But here's Chris Lick running CNN trying to figure out how the hell can we dig out of this audience ratings hole that we're we're in, this no man's land. We are in between Fox and MSNBC, and uh, we're going to tilt right, and we're going to do it this way. We're going to start by giving Trump uh, a a free pass. And uh, it was it was dreadful. This is going to go down in in history. This is this is going to be worse than the death of buckwheat. Okay, and we all remember the death of buckwheat. How badly that was covered. (laughs) It's it's going to trump the death of Michael Jackson. (laughs) I I don't see. I, I just can't see any way possible that this turns out. I mean, Caitlin Collins did as good a job as anybody could have done. I give her great credit for standing up there. She should not have been in that position, and it just shouldn't have happened. No one should have been in that position. Exactly. No. Let me ask a broader question, though, because we can can pick this apart, as uh, lots of folks are doing, and rightfully so. But now, how do you cover Trump from here through the election, notwithstanding the fact that it's very likely he's going to get one or two more major indictments that are going to be much more profound than the one that he was just convicted on and the one that's still hanging up in New York, uh, which, of course, he will just say no matter what, it's, it's all fake, it's a, it's a hoax, it's rigged, the justice system is unfair, juries are unfair, we know that. But how do you cover this without giving him more oxygen than he deserves. And of course, CNN really uh, responsible in 2016 for covering the rallies from beginning to end. Uh, the only thing they missed last night was playing Lee Greenwood. Uh, God bless the USA at the beginning and YMCA at the end. As, as, uh, th- that's all they left on the table. They, they didn't quite go that far with the production values. But what, what when do you, you do see those? Uh, well, when you see those reports that his advisors were like high fiving each other, like, I can't believe we got 90 minutes for free and they're just applauding everything. God damn, we, we snowed these guys. It's disgusting. Mm. Well, but what did you snow them with? Well, that's true. No, I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll let Park talk here in a moment. How, how do you talk? How do you cover him? Is you don't, I, I hope that you've learned your lesson from eight years of this bullshit political fiasco that he's been, it, no one needs to go, hey, what is your um, policy on updating the electric grid? Hey, uh, is, is infrastructure more important than the military, less important? I think you have to, you, you have to acknowledge, the three of us have to acknowledge, he could, be, he could be elected again. He could be elected president again based on our electoral college. That could happen. So you do have an obligation to cover him, but you do also have an obligation to say he's, he, he's a criminal. <laughs> He almost, you know, he almost uh, had people killed on January the 6th of 2021. I think that you're obligated to say that stuff every single time. Just minimize the coverage. I mean, he's not saying anything new, so why even report it? I mean, there's 50 states and there's stuff going on everywhere. If they're truly a news network, why aren't they out in the field reporting something other else than Trump's mouth movements? Because he gets the numbers. He gets them the numbers. That's, 
and that that brings up you know that brings up do we really need 24-hour news networks if it, if that's all they have to offer well we may not need that one <laughs> there's a that one may may have obsoleted itself yeah well you're right it, it had a good 40-year run right mm-hmm. when did cnn uh-huh. come on 1980 or so yeah so 20 call it a 20 a 45-year run and uh it has been displaced in a way those by social media and by the internet. And uh, yeah, I mean, when you think about what those networks were doing 25 and 30 years ago, particularly CNN, CNN had real sports people covering sports. Mm-hmm. They had, they had weather, yeah. they, they did, they did entertainment news. They did all those kinds of things. And you see now it's just stripped down to the, the, the most bare coverage of uh, those things only when something horrible happens uh-huh. and it's just uh, rinse and repeat 24 7 the the same stories over and over again you know how this is you you can tune in 12 times a day and you'll see that same reporter standing in the same place doing the same report over and over again because they've got the the analytics that show people only watch X number of times a day and they can get away with that. There's nothing original. So you're right. And as their audience dwindles and as cable uh, loses subscribers, their, their monetary base goes away. So they fire more people and they do it with fewer people. Sound like your local newspaper at all. Yeah. And there's more commercials, which makes it more yeah. unwatchable, which causes ratings to drop. And it's just like, a, you know, so the answer is more Trump. <laughs> I mean, Trump. if we truly in the marketplace see a gap on cnn now and an opportunity in the post tucker carlson fox news world to move into that space fuck it go ahead and do it put tucker on at eight put buck sexton on at nine i mean just go ahead and go all the way with this shit if you're going to do it instead of like well, i don't know america really needs to hear from donald trump because i think the guy's changed a lot you never know what's going to happen to this election cycle you know just go ahead and don't don't, but, don't bullshit us all right but, but but i'll throw one more thing into this mix because i think about this a lot as we beat the shit out of cnn and rightfully so for what they've done they're they're in a corner but we know people that have worked at cnn and we know people that have worked at fox and for the most part they're good people and they don't all have some kind of agenda most of them that being said the reason for donald trump are voters republican voters they support him he has that 30 or 40 percent whatever you want to call it and so they keep covering him so yeah trump is the symptom networks may be the conduit but we've got a big cult out there a really really big cult those people last night think of that they were trying to convince you beforehand that these were independent voters and uh, republican primary voters in New Hampshire, many of whom hadn't made up their mind yet. What? Who was the other? What? DeSantis? No. So CNN got snookered themselves. Because all these people probably told them, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not a big Trumper. I, I can uh, I can sit there. I'm not going to be a hyena. I'm not going to. And look what happened. Right. It, it turned into a, you know, a dime store rally for him, just like you would see on the tarmac in Texar Shido, Texas, where he would fly in and do those rallies. Um, 
Well, but Frank, they're, Frank there's, a, there's an audience for it. I guess that's yeah. what it is. If, if there Frank wasn't an Bruni, audience, they wouldn't. The columnist Frank Bruni said, uh, you know, the real scandal and outrage of last night wasn't Trump. It was the audience. Oh, okay. And, and I think that's kind of, you know, you know, the fact that there's a 40 percent give or take uh, the idea that more white males vote for Trump than the Democratic candidates, you know, doesn't that cause you to look differently at people when you're walking all the down time? The yeah, that that's just a fact. I mean, I guess now he could rape someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue, yeah. and he wouldn't lose any votes. We uh, mur- murder, yeah. But I mean, that br- that brings up an interesting conundrum because we were always told, really, and I think it's going to be true of this election as well. It's the suburban females they're going to decide the election, right? They're the ones that are always kind of like if whoever they go with, well, and in the in the wake of what we now know and what has now been proven in court to be true, you wonder how the suburban wives are going to be or the suburban females are going to going to go in any given situation. Do you think somebody needs to, you know, sort of uh, give Joe Biden an energy drink and and (laughs) have him better represent his what I consider fairly significant accomplishments in his first couple of years? They have trouble telling their own story. They do have trouble. But I thought I thought the reaction last night when he sent out the one tweet that goes, you want four more years of this shit? I mean, basically, that's what he said, which I thought was. Yeah, Yeah. well, but but hasn't this allowed the Democrats and Joe Biden? to uh, set this up once more as they did in 2020. Yeah. And you know Biden's line don't uh, don't compare me to the almighty compare me to the alternative. And mm-hmm. by that score if that was the alternative last night then you go all right well the democrats should be thrilled and a lot of them are because mm-hmm. he showed himself again to be who and what he was. I love the comments you know he hasn't changed at all. He's the same Nobody expected anything different. We really didn't expect anything different, except this time. It was even worse. It was even worse. And uh, you're not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. But I'm pretty sure that some of the things he said, Mm. now updated, brand new, uh, about his right to declassify anything and keep anything and show it to any person that he wants to, are not helpful to the case that is being built we assume, and we're pretty sure is being built by Jack Smith, the prosecutor in Washington. I mean, his lawyers must be tearing their hair out if they have any left to tear out. Because uh, as you know, he's the worst of the worst clients that uh, an attorney could ever have. And he just did it again last night. But you know what? He got laughs. And to Mm -hmm. him, Mm -hmm. it's the feedback. He has to have that visceral feedback. That's more important than thinking for one-tenth of a second. Maybe I shouldn't say this. It might might ruin my case if I even have one, if I have a defense. So... Uh, Brian Stelter is saying that they averaged 3.1 million viewers for the town hall last night. It's a big number. But that's not... yeah. Yeah, but that's not off the charts kind of stuff yeah if you're gonna sell yourself if you're gonna if you're gonna whore yourself out you want to do it for a lot more than that right well i watched it uh, not because i wanted to and i think a lot of people watched it out of a sense of curiosity and obligation but that's those that's not a sustainable number there you know what that is that is a that is a tucker carlson average audience during the week in the past few years 
on Fox, about three million. And mm-hmm. you know, the other networks would be way behind him. So I would have thought, if you would have asked me to play high low on this, I would have thought it would have gone way past four, maybe five million yep. because it would have drawn in a lot. So um now it's a big according fail. to Trump according to Trump, that is the largest audience to ever watch a television show ever in the history of the world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but it just isn't so on that score that's really i think pretty good that it was not off the charts braggable but again what does it say for the leadership of that company that they sold their souls for that for that measly you know mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. measly little magic beans 25 to 54 the demographic was seven hundred and three thousand, which is five times higher than cnn's typical performance but again, what does it mean? What, what does it do for you? Are you able to go to the street and go to your advertisers and say, no. look what we can do when we put crazy shit on at eight o'clock? <laughs> I mean, you, you can't do it. And I, I mean, I go on a rant because I think this Warner Brothers Discovery crew is completely clueless. And this this is I'm getting vibes of the old AOL Time Warner merger from 20 uh-huh. years ago. Uh-huh. I mean, very different uh-huh. circumstances, but the synergies look exactly as awful. AOL Time Warner. Yes, I remember that. (laughs) AOL at the front of the pack and the first to fail. Well, they were it's considered one of the worst mergers in the history of American business. And there's a great book, I think, called When When Fools Rush In Mm -hmm. about that really Mm -hmm. documents it if you want to check that out. But it's it it, it, I'm getting that kind of vibes and the kind of stench from this crew that's in leadership at Warner Bros. Discovery right now. And you saw that Caitlin Collins is getting the nine o'clock show. Which is fine. I have mm-hmm. no problem with that, She's but if they the want, you know, if, if the idea is that they're going to, it's, it's the, honestly, kind of the least they could do for her, putting her on stage with a rapist. Oops. I didn't say that. Um, yeah i mean yeah she's, he wasn't she's, convicted of rape they did not convict him of rape right they only found assault they only found him liable for sexual violence i feel That's so right. sorry for the tr- and by the way park you were watching for the same reason we all are watching you're hoping he's going to have a grabber on stage and ter- assume room temperature that's why we were all watching it finally the years of kfc and big mac stuffing down his throat is going to come he's going to uh, nobody's going to have a nitroglycerin tablet available and they're going to go oh no somebody do something you know, that, that's why you were watching. Hmm. All right. We've covered uh, a good amount of ground with you, Park. We are appreciative of you spending time with us today. Oh, always a pleasure. And we hope, hope to do it again. Lots of fun. But it's not going to be because Trump is on TV the next time. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. going to be that. And, and actually, we were, we were thinking of this uh, right around Rock and Roll Hall of Fame time. And then uh, this week when when the the trump debacle was uh, about to i said we got to get him we got to get him so we appreciate your time uh, stopping by here and giving and us three instead of two i want to share with you yes. Keith Overland had a great quote he said this completes cnn's transformation into a whorehouse <laughs> i mean sadly it's true you can't you can't make an argument hey before you get out of here can you please shamelessly promote some of your stuff that people can go check out because I don't All think right. we ever do that for you enough. Mm. My shamelessly promotes them. I see the but fish book. Uh, the the fish yeah. book is for sale at Amazon. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's been a, a steady source of uh, revenue since it came out ten years ago or whenever it was. Uh, yeah, those guys are they're coming to uh, Wilmington for the playing wow. two nights in Wilmington for the first time. Have either of you ever seen fish? No, my. Uh, my my son was my son, and uh, uh, he loved 
fish. I don't know. Haven't talked about fish for a while. So. <laughs> well, many kids go through the phase yeah. as they did back in the days of the Grateful Dead, where you follow them around, yeah. and you know it's this movable party, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's a rite of passage. It's a lot of fun for a certain type of kid, uh, music centered and really curious about the world, and it's a whole it's a whole uh, little subculture unto itself. I, I, I think we'd be remiss to not let you at least uh, uh, opine on UNC basketball last year and, and ahead because I know you're a huge fan. Yeah, yeah. They had a they had a difficult year after making it all the way to the, the finals the year before. Yeah, What's I'm. Going on? Uh, well, you know, we lost six players to the transfer portal. That's not good. Six players, good players too, yeah. and. Uh, Two who who are ineligible fifth year uh, seniors, and I think we have now gotten f- four players from the transfer portal. And from the transfer portal, uh, there's talk of this kid coming in early from high school. Keto Keto is his last name, and he's a uh, point guard. He's you know supposed to be the best available point guard in the country. I don't know. My question is if 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 it's a similar scenario where the bench is overloaded with good players who don't get playing time, um, you know, Caleb Love is out of the way. So yeah. that may be the answer to one of the most serious problems. But I just wonder sometimes spoken respectfully if Hubert has the goods as a bench coach and as a head coach. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Are you are you hearing rumblings among the uh, among the the Carolina uh, faithful that maybe Hubert may not be as great a coach as we initially thought he was? Well, yeah, based on this past year, the fact yeah. that we didn't win in the end of game situations, we fell apart at the ends of games. The substitution patterns were erratic. There seemed to be no cohesiveness in the floor. The offensive sets were utterly predictable this this whole uh what did they call it one one in four out right this sort of static offense where you pass it around the perimeter until the clock winds down then somebody frantically fires up a bad three um that's there's there's a grand conspiracy theory scenario you never want to be the guy that replaces the guy. And Matt Doherty found that out at Carolina fairly quickly. And now there's another Hall of Fame coach that left named Roy Williams. And now Hubert Davis is having some problems. And there's this great conspiracy theory, in which case we we let, let Hubert play out the string. We pat him on the back. We thank and excuse him. And then eventually Wes Miller, the former UNCG coach who played for Dean Smith and is now, I think, at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes mm-hmm. He comes home. <laughs> And he's the guy. He's welcomed with open arms. Yeah, that might be how it plays out. I mean, I wish Hubert all the best, and I hope to heck he has a great season. And we're talking about what, but there is some similarity with the Doherty situation. Doherty's first year, he was co- national coach of the year too. Yeah, you know, and then the second year was a total meltdown, and he was gone. Well, the, um, and the irony was that Roy Williams ended up winning a national championship basically with the players he recruited. <laughs> I mean, that was that was one of the great bitter ironies, and we we actually met uh, Matt Doherty about a year ago at a gathering. Yeah, 
a very, very nice fellow. Yeah. Very nice guy. Yeah. I loved him when I was yeah. a kid because that was when I was deeply in my fandom. Um, but it's not going to be the same as far as with the transfer portal. It's changed all of college basketball. Oh, You're yeah. not going to be able to inherit another guy's players. That's never going yeah. to happen again. I do hope they uh, – I kind of hope they keep that fifth-year eligibility alive to keep players in the college game at a high level, you know, uh, you know as upperclassmen. I think the college game really suffers when you don't have upperclassmen on the team. That was the whole point of Dean Smith's style, you know, senior leadership. And we haven't had that for many years with the one-and-dones um, – you know, every year is a rebuilding year. So I kind of like the fact our Baycott's coming back for a fifth year and, uh, you know, Davis well, we is sticking around. Uh, the only the only senior leadership in this country is in Washington. They're all over 80. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, we you know, we can cry and bitch and moan about the NIL stuff and about the transfer hmm. portal. But it's, you know, I got, obviously John Wooden would have never been able to succeed if he had a transfer portal, NIL money and all this other shit because he wouldn't have been able to keep people for four years. But that's this is just the evolution of the game. This is the way things are now. Yeah. And these, some I mean, of these people right. are getting paid. So why shouldn't they get paid? That's why teams like St. Peter's have incredible yeah. runs deep into the tournament. And, San you know, Diego State. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. All well, right. I, I didn't guys. mean to mean to add on a downer here. Didn't mean to add on a downer. <laughs> we'll see you, Park. Uh,